ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Dori Shafrier, and along with Kate Spencer, I host Forever 35, a podcast about the things we do to take care of ourselves. Join us every Wednesday with guests like author Phoebe Robinson, chef Samin Nosrat, actress Busy Phillips, and even former Secretary of State Madeleine Albright. On Mondays and Fridays, we have mini episodes where we answer listeners' questions on everyday problems like how useful a butt mask really is, how to deal with a petty friend, or how to relax after a long day. So join us Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Forever 35, where we're not experts, but we are two friends who like to talk a lot about serums. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. So it's Books of the Year, and it's the Q&A with the BBC's Washington editor. Is that the correct term, Washington editor, John? I should know after all Yeah, North years. America editor is my fancy North title. America editor, okay. John's book is unpresidential. Uh, unprecedented, I do beg your pardon. Um, <laughs> this has gone well so far. Well, brilliant. I know. This is, I know, this hey, is turning into Americast, do you realise that? With... <laughs> it is, I know, I know, I know. Do you, uh, do you still keep a diary? Uh, I I haven't, and I I feel I should have done actually. I've, I've it's the paper. I've the got, paperback I've got my, is, going I've, to, is going to need some updates. Yeah, it's going to need just the, what, the one or two little updates. One or two things have happened since the election itself. Um, I've, I've I keep all my scripts. I keep all my notes. I keep you know I can keep a you know I can go back to my Twitter feed, um, but I haven't been doing. I you know I it's been full on. Uh, working and keeping the diary and doing everything else. And I just thought, when I got to the end of the election, I thought, and and I hit send on the manuscript, I thought, I'm going to take, you know, I'm going to stop. And I probably shouldn't have done, but I've got all my notes so that I can go back to what's unfolded. Okay, well, yes, the paperback will be the fully updated version with the coup and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, uh, we've covered all that in in our other uh, conversations. Here we go with John Sopel tackling our Q&A session. Here we go. Question number one. John Sopel, North America editor for the BBC. What was the last book you really, really enjoyed? Wow. Um, I've just finished the, the Obama book, A Promised Land, which actually I thought was a, you know, beautifully written uh, book. And he, every time I think, oh, he's getting into too much detail on this policy of, on the Affordable Care Act, he will sort of pivot back to the family and what the kids are doing and how life is and tell you some weird story. So as a political junkie, uh, I have really enjoyed reading that. Uh, the novel that I've enjoyed most this year, golly, um, probably American Dirt, uh, by Janine wow, Cummings, yeah, which yeah. is which I thought was a terrific book, and I thought it was a, and I thought it was a book of its age, um, given the debates about immigration and you know people trying to get across the border and just the harrowing nature of what these people put themselves through to start a new life, um, and why I you know and it just it played to me about you know, America is this land of immigrants and, you know, give me your poor, your tired, your huddled masses yearning to be free, as the poem on the sort of Statue of Liberty says. Um, uh, it was that, I thought that was a great book. 
I, I love that. I read that book over Christmas. It's superb. Um, if, if we were to come to your, perhaps not your apartment in, in Washington, John, but maybe your uh, home back here and, and peruse your bookshelves, what would we see from your book collection? Just give us a br- brief description of what we'd see on, on those shelves. You'd see far too many political biographies of people you thought, God, I've forgotten about him. Was he ever in the cabinet? Why did you, why did you buy his book? <laughs> I, I think Linda, my wife, would say, that, my God, how many more? Do we really need the Norman Fowler autobiography? <laughs> you know, so, <laughs> Norman Fowler. <laughs> so uh, I think you would find a, an element of that, um, a bit of British political history as well thrown in. Uh, now a lot of... Uh, American books, because obviously I've been here for seven years and I've become rather intrigued by all that's happening, uh, you know, in the history of how this country got here and the American exceptionalism, which I think is really interesting. And then you'd find the sort of random novels. I mean, I've, you know, I think, you know, I suppose it's sort of, I always think, you know, it's high fidelity. What are your five top guitar solos and whatever? What are your five? I mean, I I sort of don't tend to do that. But I mean, I suppose, you know, there are a lot of Portnoy books because I think he's just the genius writer and just absolutely compelling. And the the way he slowly weaves a story and draws you into the subtleties and nuance of it um, are fabulous. So there's quite a bit of American writing there. And then, and then you'll find all the sort of, you know, the John le Carre and whatever else on the bookshelves too. Any, um, you kind of mentioned the Norman Fowler in passing. Are there any political memoirs that you would really, really recommend other than the ones that you've written yourself? <laughs> oh, yeah, there, is, there are some fantastic ones. I mean, um, so on the American example, I mean, the Robert Caro biographies of uh, LBJ are phenomenal. And he's such an interesting character. And such a sort of tortured soul yet so impressive as well and such a complicated presidency with you know he was the person who signed the civil rights act yet he was a southern democrat from you know a segregationist background he also was the person who you know hey hey lbj how many kids did you kill today you know his role in the vietnam war as a sort of person who was vilified for that and i i and look, you know, you can never read over completely, but I was sort of struck by the actually comparisons. And I suspect Blair would probably sue me for saying this, but, you know, the comparisons between Tony Blair and LBJ that, you know, on the domestic agenda, arguably Tony Blair did a huge amount of, you know, whether it was the sure start scheme and minimum wage and you know, devolution, which, I mean, people would argue about now, but ultimately probably is remembered for one thing in the Iraq, and that's the Iraq war. And there you have LBJ in a similar position where, you know, America, the Fair Voting Act and all the rest of it all happened during that period. And yet what is he remembered for? And I think maybe that's true. Maybe that's a truism about politics in generally that you're not remembered for a whole wide range of things. You're remembered for one particular thing. Um, and and in LBJ's case, it was the Vietnam War. Um, so I thought Caro was brilliant. I would go to... Uh, the great political biographies, I mean, I think that, you know, uh, I think um, Hugo Young's biography of Thatcher was formidable. I think Dennis, Dennis Healy's autobiography was, you know, it, it spoke of an era 
where a politician was much more than a politician. They were kind of people who had a real hinterland. There was a depth, there was a... And also they had led astonishing lives. You know, these are people who had had served in the Second World War, who had then come into politics out of an ideological belief that you needed to build a better society, whether you were a conservative, whether you were a Labour politician. Um, and they wanted to do that. Uh, and so I kind of, those sort of books, that, and then you get the political memoirs, which are just so self-serving and just, you know, this is why I was right. And although I lost everything, this is why I was right. Uh, those sort of books irritate me. Uh, but, you know, but but you get an interesting insight into what was going on in that cabinet, around that cabinet table at that particular time. So a, a lot of political memoir is makes up a lot of my reading. Um, the next question tends to be about fiction, but it doesn't have to be. Um, is, is there a book that you'd love to step inside of? That is a great question. I mean, the, the, the thrillers, where it seems unbelievably tense... And I just can't imagine what it would have been like being in the middle of those sort of great novels that capture you and take you away. Um, you know, I, and you know, being a character in a Le Carre where everything seems so ambiguous um, and what is right and what is wrong are measured in shades of grey and not in absolute terms black and white. Um I, I, you know, I kind of, I often, I, I, when, when there are great dramas going on, I think if I was in the middle of this, how would I cope? How would I shape up? Um, and, you know, and that's sort of part of what you do as a reporter as well, where you suddenly do find yourself in a situation. I hadn't been, you know, I hadn't covered many wars. And then I got sent to Afghanistan where I was moving with a front line. I thought, well, how am I going to cope? You know, and there was a part of me at the time doing that where I thought, Oh, well, this is a bit, this isn't what I normally do. And, and you kind of wonder how will I cope with that sort of stuff. So I think that things that take you outside of yourself and you try to envisage yourself in a situation are the ones where I really want to, where the places I want to go. Are there books that stand out from your childhood, John? Uh, some old childhood favourites, just one or two? Uh, you know, I did rites of passage books. I did, you know, uh, Catcher in the Rye by J.D. Salinger and um, On the Road by Jack Kerouac. And I always had the dream of, you know, bumming around America. I think I've always had a love of America. Um, and I'm sure a lot of our generation did. Actually, I think, I think the, our generation split between those who became violently anti-American because of Vietnam War and, you know, the sort of exerting power in Latin America over overthrowing latin american regimes which led to people becoming very anti-american for a lot of reasons i always thought there was something i just thought the the music the opportunity the land of the free the american dream i always thought that was pretty captivating and so i kind of remember loving films like easy rider when i was a teenager or 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 reading on the road although i was you know much young i was i wasn't part of the beat generation i'm not that old um and just thinking that those were fantastic books um and so the, the sort of open road, the music of America, the literature of America, is, I've always found incredibly attractive and seductive. And, you know, so one of my midlife crises was lived out when I drove a Harley Davidson uh, down, the piece, down the Pacific Coast Highway. Um, 
and you know kind of uh, had 10 days touring around on a bike uh with four other guys and it was the most wonderful thing and we were you know all <laughs> graying somewhat but it just seemed like one of those dreams that you had to live out oh hilarious superb john sopel on his harley davidson fabulous um is, is there a book that always cheers you up john Is there a book that always cheers me up? Yeah, I wish I'd, I wish I had thought about these questions. You're, these these are coming at me uh, from a gin clear blue sky, and I am. Uh, is there a book that always? Any of the novels that I've that... written, obviously. Yeah, yeah. I think I think I think I think the oeuvre of Simon Mayo is really what anyone needs if their spirits and soul is sapping. Um, I, I, God, I want to... I'm going to come off this call. I'm going to come off this, you know, this pod and think, why didn't you say that? You've always loved that book and it, and it's not coming to me at the moment. There we are. I'm okay. sorry. Uh, that's that's fine. fine. That, that, uh, that's fine. That is a, it is a tricky one to just uh, think of. Uh, Catch-22. Catch-22 was a book I loved. There we are. Catch-22 was a book that I loved, and I loved the sort of central character of Yasarian. And, you know, it, but, you know, it, when he's trying to get out of the, the war and they say, yeah, but if everyone said that, then there would be no army. And he said, but if I didn't say that, I'd be mad. And just that sort of sent the central contradiction of, I, I thought that the characters were great in that book. Um, you know, and yeah, no, no. I th- so yes, catch 22. There we are. Okay. Final question to John Sopel, still the editor for the BBC for the whole of North America. Is there a book that you wish you had written? Obviously, the uh, my book's uh, to one side again. <laughs> but is there a book that you admire and love so much that you wish you'd written? Now, this could be a political book, history book, or a novel. I would love to write one of the great history books. You know, some of the scholarship that goes into the, you know, I mean, like... I, Andrew Roberts' recent book on Churchill, I thought was, you know, and Andrew Roberts comes from a particular, you know, political viewpoint, but I thought just the the depth and that sort of scholarship, that the trouble with what I do is that I do two minutes on the 10 o'clock news most nights a week, and it's here today, gone tomorrow. Um, And I would love to, and maybe, you know, when we're talking about, you asked me a question of, you know, is it the end of the road for the North America editor? Uh, maybe that's something I'd like to do next, is to actually spend times, time in a library with proper scholarship and digging out manuscripts and trying to recreate in my head what happened and how it happened um, and coming up with a fresh perspective on something we think we all know well. And that, I think that's a very appealing uh, prospect. Uh, John, uh, spending time with you is always fascinating. Thank you very much indeed for talking to us up the Spurs. And uh, we look forward to... Back off, Matt. Um, (laughs) Yeah, back off, Matt. Back off, Matt. Yeah. yeah. Uh, We look forward to to many, many hours of your broadcasting as uh, agriculture correspondent or local government, (laughs) maybe. I don't know what what takes your fancy. John, thank you very much indeed for giving us some time because it's all a bit precarious over there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Lovely talking to you. Take care.
ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Christopher Kimball, host of Milk Street Radio. If you'd like to change the way you cook and also think about food, please check out the Milk Street podcast. We travel around the world to find pizza in Tokyo, Egyptian food in Berlin, and Bhutanese farmers in Vermont. We speak to Jamie Oliver, Rachel Ray, Al Roker, Ina Garten, as well as Michael Twitty, Marcus Samuelson, and Alice Waters. And we'll introduce you to recipes that will change the way you cook, from bright pink Tottenham cake to Afghan dumplings to shoyu sugar steak, and that one is direct from Hawaii. It's a whole new world of food right here on Milk Street Radio. Please check us out on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, or go to 177milkstreet.com. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip (laughs) off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.